Chapter sixty four of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter sixty four The British Empire in nineteen fourteen. We may note here briefly the varied nature of the constituents of the British Empire in nineteen fourteen, which the steamship and railway had brought together. It was and is a quite unique political combination. Nothing of the sort has ever existed before. First and central to the whole system was the Crown Republic of the United British Kingdom, including, against the will of a considerable part of the Irish people, Ireland. The majority of the British Parliament, made up of the three united parliaments of England and Wales, Scotland and Ireland, determines the headship, the quality and policy of the ministry, and determines it largely on considerations arising out of British domestic politics. It is this ministry which is the effective supreme government, with powers of peace and war, over all the rest of the empire. Next in order of political importance of the British states were the crowned republics of Australia, Canada, Newfoundland, the oldest British possession, 1583, New Zealand and South Africa, all practically independent and self-governing states in alliance with Great Britain, but each with a representative of the crown appointed by the government in office. Next, the Indian Empire, an extension of the Empire of the Great Mogul with its dependent and protected states reaching now from Beluchistan to Burma and including Aden, in all of which empire the British crown and the India office under parliamentary control played the role of the original Turkoman dynasty. Then, the ambiguous possession of Egypt, still nominally a part of the Turkish Empire, and still retaining its own monarch, the Khedive, but under almost despotic British official rule. Then, the still more ambiguous Anglo-Egyptian Sudan province, occupied and administered jointly by the British and by the British-controlled Egyptian government. Then, a number of a partially self-governing communities, some British in origin and some not, with elected legislators and an appointed executive, such as Malta, Jamaica, the Bahamas and Bermuda. Then the Crown Colonies, in which the rule of the British home government, through the colonial office, verged on autocracy, as in Ceylon, Trinidad and Fiji, where there was an appointed council, and Gibraltar and St. Helena, where there was a governor. Then, great areas of chiefly tropical lands, raw product areas, with politically weak and under-civilized native communities, which were nominally protectorates and administered either by a high commissioner set over native chiefs, as in Basutu land, or over a chartered company, as in Rhodesia. In some cases the foreign office, in some cases the colonial office, and in some cases the India office, has been concerned in acquiring the possessions that fell into this last and least definite class of all. But for the most part the colonial office was now responsible for them. It will be manifest, therefore, that no single office and no single brain had ever comprehended the British Empire as a whole, it was a mixture of growth and accumulations entirely different from anything that has ever been called an empire before, 
It guaranteed a wide peace and security. That is why it was endured and sustained by many men of the subject races. In spite of official tyrannies and insufficiencies, and of much negligence on the part of the home public. Like the Athenian Empire, it was an overseas empire, its ways were seaways, and its common link was the British Navy. Like all empires, its cohesion was dependent physically upon a method of communication, the development of seamanship, shipbuilding and steamships, between the 16th and 19th centuries had made it a possible and convenient pax the Pax Britannica, and fresh developments of air or swift land transport might at any time make it inconvenient. End of chapter 64